Welcome everyone. It's good to be back in this particular setting with all of you. And uh, what you see behind me is not a virtual background. I'm actually back home. You, you never know these days, you know. So it's <clears throat> wonderful to be back in this seat and back with all of you, some of whom I saw recently in person. Um, I'm taking the time to uh, just settle back as I'd like for you to do also to take a few moments and we'll sit together or if you need to lie down or whatever your situation is, that's fine. And call our hearts and minds and bodies together in our, through our breath, our shared breath.
as we said, maybe it's possible uh, for you to hear the rain. You might not, but and I want to just read as you sit quietly and in stillness the very last paragraph, the final paragraph of Suzuki Roshi's Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And then, then I'm going to restate it a little differently, but these are his words. And remember, he was speaking in a, a living room of a home near San Francisco in California at the time, not in a temple. He said, I feel Americans, especially young Americans, have a great opportunity to find out the true way of life for human beings. You're quite free from material things and you begin Zen practice with a very pure mind, a beginner's mind. You can understand Buddhist teachings exactly as he meant it, but we must not be attached to America or Buddhism or even to our practice. We must have beginner's mind, free from possessing anything, a mind that knows everything is in flowing change. Nothing exists but momentarily in its present form and color. One thing flows into another and cannot be grasped. Before the rain stops, we hear a bird. Even under the heavy snow, we see snowdrops and some new growth. In the east, I saw rhubarb already. In Japan, in the spring, we eat cucumbers. taking his words and stepping forward a bit beyond stepping to the side i feel all people not just americans of course all of us have a great opportunity to find out the true way of life for human beings Sometimes we're caught by material things and sometimes we're not. And either way, we begin Zen practice with a very pure mind, 
a beginner's mind. If you do so, you can understand Buddha's teachings exactly as he meant it. But we must not be attached to America or England or Switzerland or Spain or any particular place or even to Buddhism or any particular belief or even to our practices as wonderful as they might be. We must have beginner's mind free from possessing anything. Mind that knows everything is in flowing change, that nothing exists but momentarily in its present form and color. One thing flows into another and cannot be grasped. Before the rain stops, I hear the roosters down the hill. Under the morning rain, I see drops falling from the eaves, from the palm leaves. Down the hill, I see Japanese irises blooming. Yesterday, I saw ripe papaya. And would you, with me, um, let's begin with the four practice principles, and then we're going to end uh, with the verse of the robe, just based on today's teachings. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream each moment life as it is the only teacher being just this moment compassion's way pardon me i'm having some trouble with my eye here <clears throat> but i can see you I just um, 
It's wonderful to be back home. And I do hope that many of you were able to um, experience the last two weeks of inquiry with Josh. It was quite lovely and really amazing, uh, I thought. As I was reading that piece from Suzuki Roshi, um, speaking about America and then extending it, I thought, well, the one of the things that's enchanting about listening to Josh is, of course, his voice. And for those of us in the United States, at least, what appears to be an accent, not an accent for him, it's just his British voice, but uh, it's so beautiful and gentle and his presence is so full and personal. Um, and I, f I feel like I'm returning from a few weeks of an embodied experience of the vastness that he spoke about, you know, when he marked our, our places across the globe, and at least in the Northern Hemisphere. And he brought us into such, um, it's an interesting juxtaposition of both a delicate and a very sturdy intimacy. A very delicate but very sturdy intimacy, um, kind of like the orchids. The orchids, you know, they look so delicate, but boy, are they sturdy. They're kind of amazing. Um, on my recent trip, I was able to visit family, um, especially uh, my mom and Kathy in Texas, and then so many friends um, that I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, in Texas and also in <clears throat> in Wisconsin. In Austin, enjoying being with the Sangha in person. Uh, it's the first time in four years or so that Peg and I have taught together in the same place. Um, in the Zendo with people close by. And then of course, so many of you online too, which is a great blessing to maintain uh, the virtual Zendo. And, and the same in Madison at Open Door, uh, being with people that uh, I was shocked when <laughs> someone reminded me that it had been 20 years since we began what was just a little Hakomi workshop that turned into this robust Sangha. And each time, including people from all over the world through Zoom, through Appamata, Open Door, and also another spiritual education center that thrived for so many years in Austin, Seton Cove, um, in which I was fortunate to, to teach and met so many people there. So it was like a, a reunion of some sorts. Um, I think Josh titled his first talk, Wherever You Are, and this is how we were. Wherever we were, we were practicing together. The particularity of each person, each place, and each culture, each voice, and yet the shared rhythm of our life, one one thing. And he, he reflected on uh, Sheng Yin, a wonderful Chan teacher, um, question, uh, answer to a question he was asked, when he suggested that we regulate our life 
and I don't, I don't think he meant, you know, manage it. It's being in accord with life as it is. And this is, this is what I'm resting with, I think, in, in my return. It was another particular thing that Josh mentioned I really liked because it, it echoed my experience of being an inquiry. He said, sometimes uh, we are quite active in what we do and sometimes quite uh, receptive. And here's what I mean by that, so it's in context. Sometimes you will come to me an inquiry or one of us who is leading saying, how should I, you know, fill in the blank, what should I do? You're asking a question about being active, something instrumental, solution focus. Let's, I want the answer, I want to fix this. And sometimes that's useful and sometimes it's appropriate. It's actually not the core of inquiry, which is much more of the second, the receptive, which is this larger view from the perspective of the Dharma, which shows us that everything is regulating everything all the time, already, as we touch on the realities of impermanence and mutual causality, and that our perspective has to move as everything is moving and shift as everything is shifting. And that allows us to be more free free from fighting reality, instead of waking up to reality. So it's not just active practices, but sometimes it's acquisitive, and that, that's the grasping. And it's not simply receptive, it's also welcoming, which I think Josh did such a good, good job of. So in reflecting on his inquiry presentations and also the weeks of teaching in the last, I echo his uh, statement that uh, Suzuki Roshi made, and I, I always attribute it. I make up, I make up the uh, place from which it's coming in Suzuki Roshi, and of course I don't know that that's true. We all do this when we read stuff, you know, like this is what he felt. But when he said, "This is more than I can say, and more than you can hear," when I say it, there's this combination of heartbreak and joy. I love teaching. I love being with all of you. It's some of the best part of my life. And my aspiration of what I want to offer you and what I hope for you, there's such a gap between what I do and what I wish I could do. That's the more than I can say and more than you can hear. So there's a little bit of a heartbreak in it. But that's also that, that um, edge of undeniable intimacy, the relationality enacted in our presence. And sometimes um, presence is enough. I, one of the events that I led when I was in Austin was just a one-day one event after the retreat at Appamata. About 25 people from the Seton Cove family or and more that I'd known for another 20 years or so. And when I sent out the um, invitation with, with Judy Myers and Carrie Tate, the people who are helping me, I titled it, Just to be together is enough. Just to be together is enough. So if you were with Josh the day that he showed the um, paintings, he, he invited us into galleries um, in the UK and also uh, on the continent and in Europe, 
to see an ex the exquisite intimacy of a Rembrandt late self-portrait and a Vermeer a woman reading a letter at the window. Some of you know some of these images, even if you didn't hear it. Um, and he offered us amazing teachings out of it. I wanted to continue that. Uh, our views, uh, because in a way, awakening or enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, is just a shift in perspective. The world doesn't change. You don't get a new world, a better one. Certainly don't get a worse one. It's a shift in perspective. So our view is really, really important. So if you'll indulge me, I want to um, share an image as well. Um, <clears throat> and just as um, Josh did at first, I want you just just to look at it and notice what what comes forward. And as you look, <clears throat> you might see the echoes of the Rembrandt in terms of the dark richness. You might see echoes of the Vermeer and the light coming from an unseen window. Uh, you certainly see the powerful painting on the wall behind with just the eyes looking out. I see my beloved Aaron sitting in a cafe in Paris. I didn't take the image. It's just an iPhone snapshot. I think Liz Young, our beautiful friend, took it. So it's ordinary. Is it? It's as if someone um, um, pinned the image uh, forever. A, uh, a note from emptiness, a photo from emptiness. And I show it to you not because we're going to analyze a photograph, or it's not about Aaron, or it's not about Paris. All of those are there, but the but the questions and the invitation to mystery and intimacy that it calls forward. About our capacity and practice to loosen our grasp and the willingness to shift perspectives, to soften our attachment to perspectives that we hold dear or we cling to, so we can wake up to the ways in which we do cling to our views and how that causes us suffering. Awakening is a shift in perspective, as I said. 
without denying anything, including everything. It opens an ability to respond and to improvise and to move less hindered with the unending flow, which is this incomprehensible, you know, contingency we call everyday life. That, that picture was just a moment in a cafe when they were still jet lagged. I know this because they told me um, having the first coffee, you know, is everyday life. And yet everything is there. Everything is shown in that moment, which is true of our life all the time. At the very end of a piece that some of you are familiar with, it was written by Ezra Beta, a piece called What Is Our Life About? Uh, right towards the end, he says, we are so much more than just this body, just this personal drama. As we cling to our fear and our shame and our suffering, we forsake the gratitude of living from our natural being. And then the only line in the entire piece that is italicized is in his presentation. So where in this very moment do we cling to our views? Where in this very moment do we cling to our views? And he says, softening around the mind's incessant judgment, we can awaken the heart that seeks to be awakened. But where do we cling to our views? So you, you, you can do this if you want. Up in the right-hand corner, I think Josh pointed this out last time, up in the right-hand corner of your screen, there's a little, little thing and it says view. I don't want you to change your view, but even if you just click on that thing, there's a, drop, there's a list. You don't have to, but if you want to, you can just see the list. You don't have to change anything. And that list says, under the title of views, speaker, gallery, hide self-view, hide non-video participants, follow host view order, and full screen. You see that under the views? There's many things that, uh, and it could be that uh, as a host, I see all of those things. But I'll tell you that that's, that's the list, and I'm going to go down that list for just a moment. But I have to give you a warning. All views are welcomed. This is not a comparative uh, list, a judging list. All views are welcome and all views are necessary. Remember the, from the viewpoint of awakening, the, the mind of, of um, enlightenment or whatever, it can take any view. It's just not caught in any view. It has the flexibility of moving and can take any view with ease because it's not caught. It doesn't cling. It doesn't settle down on any one view against another. So on that list that I just mentioned, the first one is speaker view. That you know this one because many of you can, you've been on speaker view before. Um, because I'm um, panned or whatever you call it right now, I'm really big on my screen anyway. <clears throat> Think about how often we view ourselves as large and don't notice very many other people. 
actually that's the way most of us live most of the time. <laughs> there's me and then there's all those other people, you know, caught in the self-centered dream. I'm being a little silly, but not much. We're mostly on speaker view. But if we're not caught, then the question is, can we view ourselves, when you look at that big image, with the same compassionate gaze as we offer others? Appreciating life as it is. So the question is, we start with this first one, speaker view, is like, who's looking? And what is the view? What's the perspective? There's the one that I mentioned, there's me and all those other people, which is where I'm in the center. But you know what? Sometimes that's necessary, isn't it? Sometimes it's required to really care for yourself, to focus on yourself. Uh, sometimes this is the eye of self, self-care. It's personal, it's the relative. But you can also see in speaker view through Buddha's eyes, with Buddha's heart. And then there's, I'm sitting here, my image is large there. Now it's only a Buddha and a Buddha. Knowing everything, all the back history, all the story, all the everything. When we cling to our shame and our, you know, I know all that still Buddha and a Buddha. And this, this perspective, these are the eyes of mercy. The universal, this is the Dharma gaze, this is the eye of compassion. So speaker view can be caught or can be liberated. And then of course you can change to gallery view um, I'm not suggesting you do that, but we've done that before. And then there's all these wonderful people uh, as if you're opening to the world, and but you're included because you're, you're the same size. I, I love the way Josh and Maria work together to make the, the paintings the size of the little images. Like, oh, what if Rembrandt and Vermeer joined inquiry? That was a delightful and terrifying kind of thought, you know. But what would they do? What would they ask? But in this view, we make ourselves on a, a meeting each other on equal ground, we say in the precepts, in gallery view. We see the oneness of all being. Sometimes I will look in, at each face, and I take time to do that. But sometimes you just look at the whole, and there's an impact. I mean, you could look at a particular flower in the garden, but then you see this vast array of, um, Maria was saying her tulips were up, you know, or you see the daffodils or whatever it is, and it's like, wow, the whole thing. So in this oneness of all being in gallery view, you're not losing yourself, hopefully. Um, Sometimes we feel like hiding out in the crowd. Um, We don't want to stand out or we want to stand aside. But gallery view is a larger view. The next one that, that I have on my list, since I'm, I'm a shared host here, is called <clears throat> Hide Self View. Now, this is one that all of you wish you had, I'm sure. It's that <clears throat> because 
um, it's been challenging, I think. And often, excuse me, <clears throat> there's a refusal or at least a reluctance uh, to face yourself. Zoom has brought this forward. You know, when we're sitting in a circle, uh, when I was doing practice discussion groups in, in Madison, for example, <clears throat> or sitting in the Zendo in Austin, I'm sitting in a group of people and I see everybody but me. Of high self-view. Because you see all these people, but you don't see yourself. Not, not the way you do face on in, in Zoom. Zoom has changed, uh, at least there's no direct gaze. We've changed something very strange because in this, everybody's looking straight on. In a, in a, in a circle or in a group, you know, you look all these different views. But this is <clears throat> limited straight on. And there is a way that you see your face, by the way, in person. It's in the face of the other people. You see the reflection in the way they're looking at you. That's how you see your face. And all those faces act as, some of you know this term from Lacomia Pro, but it's something that is potentially nourishing but calls things up. And sometimes they're warm and nourishing and sometimes they're challenging. Like when you look at yourself along with everyone else on the screen, <clears throat> what comes up? And there's a long list, I'm sure, of things that, that can arise. This seeing, this hiding self-view, seeing but not being seen, is a narrative that some of our parts cling to. I want to see, I just want to be seen. And that's something to turn toward, of course, in our practice, hide self-view. So we can have self-speaker view, gallery view, hide self-view. The next one is, um, we don't do this very often, hide non-video participants. So the people who don't have their cameras on, this is a way of exiling them. <laughs> it's like turning away from those who might be having a hard time or don't want to be seen or remember my warning in the beginning, all these views are okay. I'm not judging. I'm just saying sometimes we feel uh, like I, I'm going to turn away from certain people and only look at other people. But here's the deal. Are you open to those who are absent, uns unseen in your world that are never spoken for? because of maybe racial or um, economic or trauma, so, some reasons that make people not able to step forward and therefore exiled. And are you familiar with turning away from parts of you who are having a hard time showing up, speaking up, stepping forward? We hide non-video participants all the time. And so that's another, another clue, another opportunity, another Dharma gate for us. This is the job of Avalokiteshvara, of the Bodhisattva of Compassion, with a thousand eyes and a thousand hands reaching beyond what you can see. There are two more views in Zoom. One of them, the next one is called 
follow, host, view, order. Now that one sounds a little complicated. In other words, the way that things are ordered on your screen, the host, if they click that, everybody sees everybody in exactly the same order the host does. In other words, you're all lined up like Maria or me have you, you know, instead of your own way. Now in practice, sometimes it can be damaging to submit to some real or perceived higher order without discernment may be quite damaging. I mean, some of us have experiences like this in workplaces or in, in religion where we submit, like follow the host view order, follow something else. But there's also the wholesome surrender when the teacher says, follow the form in this way, follow the schedule in this way, see what it's like and what you learn. If it's wholesome and kind, then we can learn something about our preferences and begin to drop our preferences. So there's wholesome and unwholesome aspects, just like any of these views. And sometimes we will mistake protector parts of ourselves. In IFS, you call them self-like parts, parts that you think are the real deal. When we are like being good, or we think we've got it, or, oh, I'm meditating so well, or I can follow the form as well. And then, but those are just manager practices. That's not freedom. That's clinging to a view. You cling to the view of your teacher or the teachings. Remember Suzuki Roshi said, don't even cling to Buddhism. So follow host view order. Once again, like all of them, there are wholesome ways and unwholesome ways. And the last in the list is full screen. diving into the intimacy of what's here now without distraction, the whole thing, being just this moment, compassion's way, not disparaging any view, not getting stuck in any view, not privileging any one view, that you could go through all of these and learn because we do. Sometimes we open to the vast spaciousness and the intimacy of full screen. Sometimes we follow the teacher's view to see what we can learn. Sometimes we find that we've turned away from parts of ourselves that don't want to come forward. We've hidden those participants. Or we don't want to look at ourselves when we've hidden our self-view, especially when we open to gallery and we see where we fit, or maybe the feeling is we don't fit with others. Or we're suddenly made large in speaker view. All views are welcome. And they all teach us something. So I know that's kind of an unusual way to maybe look at practice through these things that Zoom offers us. But listen to the full uh, text, and I'll screen share it so you can see it, um, of Ezra Veda's piece that I read that small piece from. And, and as we, as we go through it, um, let yourself, I, I guess, think about it in terms of these views and hear it from that uh, perspective.
So I'll, I'll let you take a look at it so you can see it. And I'll, I'll send it out so that it'll be with the, uh, <clears throat> with the video. What is our life about? Our aspiration, our calling, our desire for a genuine life is to see the truth of who we really are. So there's the first invitation to view that the nature of our being is connectedness and love, not the illusion of a separate self to which our suffering clings. It's from this awareness that life can flow through us, the unconditioned manifesting freely as our conditioned body. Both. And what is the path? Well, to learn to reside in whatever life presents, to learn to attend to all those things which block the flow of a more open life, and to see them as the very path to awakening. All the constructs, the identities, the holding back, the projections, all the fears, the self-judgments, the blame, all that separates us from letting life be. All those partial perspectives. And then the question again, and what is the path? It's the same question. To turn away from constantly seeking comfort and from trying to avoid pain. To open to the willingness to just be in this very moment exactly as it is. No longer ready to be caught in the relentlessly spinning mind. Practices about awakening to the true self. No one special to be. Nowhere to go. Just being. And then the piece I read previously, we're so much more than just this body, this personal drama. As we cling to our fear, our shame, and our suffering, we forsake the gratitude of living from our natural being. So we're in this very moment. Do we cling to our views? Softening around the mind's incessant judgment, we can awaken the heart that seeks to be awakened. And when the veil of separation rises, life simply unfolds as it will. No longer caught in the self-centered dream, we can give ourselves to others, like a white bird in the snow. Time is fleeting. Don't hold back. Appreciate this precious life. A little bell. So, flexibility with views, shifting perspectives with ease. These are the things that I wanted to speak about and that the last two weeks had brought forward for me, both in my uh, teaching and travels and loving connection with folks and then listening to josh's beautiful teachings uh, deep in that so if this has called forward something for you uh, in your own practice please um, step forward and we will view you <laughs> along with me hi hello hi Flint. i'm, I'm glad you were able to have a hug recently yeah that was great um I, I wanted to talk about the image that you showed at first, such a beautiful image, and um, just try to describe, put into words my experience of it. Okay. First was the face. I didn't recognize it as Aaron, um, but I, so the first was the the person and the you know utter kindness of the face. It was just compassion, kindness. And then the um, image above of this hidden face with the eyes looking directly at the viewer. 
And so there was a real tension there between those two. And I felt them as different. And then, you know, after a few moments, like they were almost the same thing. Maybe they were different views of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure if I can say much more than that, but it just really, it, it was a very evocative image. Just, yeah, it could be a painting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's something about it, isn't there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's and, and it's like quick flash now after you're digesting it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's like I didn't like I didn't want to land on either one as like the preferred part yeah. of the picture. And you that's know, they, the point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And sometimes there are parts of us that peer out from hidden places yeah. <laughs> and the other thing is you don't know what uh you don't know what that figure is looking at because it's a painting you don't know you don't even know much about what's behind there you don't know what Aaron is looking at right yeah and yeah. you don't know who the looker is I told you who it was but you didn't really know who that was looking at him uh, and now we're looking yeah kind and, of because it's zoom well but we're looking at the image but that's you know josh talked mm. about notes from emptiness mm. yeah images dreams um symbols um, beautiful paintings tankas religious objects it's all the same they're images that we're attempting to digest the world and find mm. out how, how to live our life yeah yeah well that's a, an image that really keeps uh, offering questions yeah, yeah. Thank you. Love Thank it. You. Yeah. Thank you for your reflections on it. Yeah. Hi, Sheila. Hi, Flint. So wonderful to have you back. Good to see <laughs> in, you. In this Zendo. Glad you're um, safe. Um, I wanted to say first how much I did appreciate Josh's teachings while you were not teaching in this um, meant so much to me. I, I experienced um, a huge shift in perspective um, these past two weeks because I was um, in a tornado and um it was your teaching really was helpful today because i think part of the post trauma that many of us have been experiencing um is the view that we now have that we didn't have 2 weeks ago the physical view from our homes um I live on a second floor apartment and because I, I was really blessed during the tornado, I did not have a lot of structural mm -hmm. damage to, to where I live. Um, but the, because of, uh, you can see the path yeah. now that the tornado took and all the trees, um, you know, little rock, it's a very lush, and and wooded city um yeah, yeah very hilly and wooded yes 
And I can my perspective now from my porch is so much further because there are not trees now that are that are um, hiding what, <laughs> uh, especially the homes in the path of of destruction um, that happened. But I'm trying to um, let go of wanting to have the old perspective <laughs> and accepting and welcoming um, the the positive things that I've been offered with a with a new perspective. So your teaching today has has is I think already helping me do that just to have the insight that that's something that that I'm going through along with so many in my community. Um, and, well, you're, and I'm appreciating very much what you just said about accepting and appreciating. Um, but then you said something else. I can't remember what it was, but the opening and, and awakening in the way we're talking about allows us to appreciate and accept, but it doesn't mean like. <laughs> it's not about, oh, now it's good. Right. Or, or trying to put a spin on it. There, there are times when, um, as, a, as a teacher, when I'm speaking about things that are, that are tough, that are not easy, I sometimes find students quickly coming around to kind of lighten things up or, oh, yes, but it's all love, isn't it? Or something, you know, to, it's like, yes, and don't turn away. And you don't lose that, even if you look at the difficulty. It's like you see this swath of destruction, and it's everything that it is. It's terrible, and it's destructive, and things were harmed, and things were destroyed, and it's everything else also. You have a, a larger view. What do you see a lot more of? Beauty and also destruction. That's what happens with a larger perspective and awakening. You'll see more beauty and you'll see more destruction. And our job is to be able to hold that as a larger container, which is the larger view. And so I really appreciate the way you are saying that and using the experience. I listened to the uh, presentation that Josh did and also your inquiry with him. And so I'd known, you know, what had happened, but I can also hear the way you've, you're continuing to metabolize and continue to step forward. And you're, so you're using this as a practice rather than just coping. That's different. And, and thanks to you and to, to so, I have really felt everyone's presence from from the cloud zendo um in this experience and and felt um just held this Good. is such a container for me right that, um, that gallery view that larger even full screen yes. allows you to yes um I'm standing in at the moment as in a leadership role or a teaching role, but really it takes everybody. Yeah, it does. It does. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Hi.
It's so good to see you. Good to see you. Um, you know, you asked this question, <clears throat> something like, where are we still clinging to our perspective? Yeah, and my immediate thought was everywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep, join the club. I feel like I'm an insect, you know, on this planet, and all I can see is a blade of grass. And But there's this whole planet, and then there's beyond the planet, and then there's beyond that. And I'm literally looking at a blade of grass. Yep. And I can only move so far, and I can only see so far, and I can only think so far, and I can only live so long. And mm -hmm. I just, today, throughout the whole presentation, I just kept thinking, I don't know how to do any of this. Well, actually, you do because you just described it beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, realizing what your um, you, you know, Suzuki Roshi one time said, "Big mind is realizing will always see through small mind." Dogen said, "We only see." as far as our eye of practice can reach. And so the image of seeing a, in a blade of grass, you're saying, oh, I have a really limited view. Like, yep, that's right. And you just then describe the larger view, which you also have in your imagination and your heart and your mind um, and that you know about and that, and you know about it because you've had it at times. And so when Dogen also said, let's, you can see the moon in one drop of dew on a blade of grass. And yeah, that's, that's the way we see it. But what we see is the entire universe in that. And so, yes, you're contained and constrained like all of us. And you also have this larger mind, which, but you know that line in the, what I was reading about the heart that seeks to be awakened? You, know, you, yeah. have, you have this longing. You know, and that longing is what propels our practice, which is beautiful. As long as we don't begin to make a smaller view narrative that says I'm lacking and small. <laughs> That's why Suzuki Roshi said big mind, awakened mind is realizing, yeah, I'm always going to be in a relative body of the relative view. But that opening opens us to a larger space, if that makes any sense. I love the way yeah. you it's beautiful the way you said it. It was poetic, really. Hmm. But the longing, it's like, wait a minute, I'm always going to be. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll stay stuck with you in this body at this time. And we together, we can look out. Beautiful blades of grass from our little hand view. But our imagination takes us further. Because we realize we can't. It, it really, I, I know I'm talking too much here. You're, you're, you're echoing what Josh and I both said when we read quote about this is more than I can say, more than you can hear. That, mm -hmm. that that's that broken-hearted longing. I wish I could. Mm -hmm. Yeah, here we are, and mm -hmm. there's beauty and fullness in that. Thanks for being with me in it. Thank you. And your cat.
seems like we're we're kind of moving to the end here. There's just another couple of minutes. <clears throat> so maybe it's just a good moment to pause and and reflect and feel the the fullness of what each person has brought forward. And I hope that you appreciate why I suggested we uh, invoke the verse of the robe now. So let's use our voices together. <clears throat> Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Thank you, everyone in the whole gallery, the full screen of our life. Thank you so much, Flint. Thank you for being here. And thank you, everyone, for being here and creating this wonderful gallery view and space and for us all to just sit in and, and be in. It's just just wonderful. I just feel so moved by his all being here. And, uh, and if you'd like to offer Dana to Flint, then please do go to appamada.org and you'll see a menu there to, to offer Dana to Flint and to, to other events at Appamada. So thank you all so much. Thank you. And if you'd like to continue to meet for a further 30 minutes, please do join myself and others and we'll continue for a further 30 minutes. Thank you all again so much. Thank you.